0: We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. I love seeing... So many different faces, different uh, people from different races and backgrounds and ages and stages. And it's so good to gather today. And whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever situation you're in, you're so welcome. And one thing that I'm sure that we all have in common today is that... Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you've kind of been a Christian for a short time, whether you're not a Christian yet, whether you don't believe um, in God or anything like that, I am sure that one thing we all have in common is that we believe that the church could do better in our nation. It could do better to serve those amongst us who are single. And it could do better to serve those amongst us who are married and perhaps going through marital struggles. It could do better for those amongst us who are parents and are struggling to get our teenage kids along to church. It could do better amongst those of us who are just grappling with all sorts of work pressures and stress pressures and uni pressures and emotional pressures and mental pressures, financial pressures. I I believe that we probably all think that the church could do better to to serve the community at large. And I just wanted to take a moment right at the start of this talk to just think for a few seconds, what types of things do you think hold the church back from being all that it should be or could be? I want you to just hold on to those thoughts. We're going to kind of come back. I think the passage we're going to read today is going to highlight some things that potentially could be reasons But we're going to come back to that towards the end. Let me introduce myself. My name's Chris and uh, I'm the leader here at Centrepoint Church. I get to serve by leading our leadership team and it's such a privilege to do that. And uh, every single week we love to preach from the Bible. This week is no different. And so if you grab your, your Bibles, if you've got one with you or scroll to the right place, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. And it might be that you just didn't bring one along today and you'd like to read through to see uh, what we're reading. And uh, if that's the case, why don't you just stick your hand up in the air and one of our team will bring you one in your seat. And uh, it might just be that your hand is up because you just don't own a Bible. And if that's the case, then you can just keep this one for yourself. You can have it as a free gift from us. Write your name in it and it's yours. It will bless you. And uh, today, I've t- called today's talk Trading Places. And for much of the talk, the title won't make any sense, but it will right at the end. So um, I just want you to just hold on, hold on to that. And uh, along with your thoughts, along with the title, we're gonna, it will all kind of make sense towards the end of the talk. Um, so let me just let you know about our series so far, because we've been going through this book, Joshua, and so far in the series, we found out that you had, there was a guy called Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh because his people, the Israelites, were uh, under captivity and slavery in Egypt. And he said, let my people go. And he, he took them out and they crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. And they entered into um, a place called the Wilderness, which was close to the Promised Land. And rather than going straight into the Promised Land, that, which is what God had promised Abraham hundreds of years before, that they should go into Um, What happened was that they ended up wandering around this wilderness for 40 years. And when the generation of men that kind of came out of Egypt had all passed away, apart from Joshua, um, Joshua then was called. And we heard in chapter 1 how God called him and said, be strong and courageous, I want to go with you, and everywhere you put your foot in the promised land, I will be with you, but you need to step first and then I'll go with you. And they went into the promised land and um, as they went to do that, as they went to go, there was a big flood in their way, the River Jordan. And again, they were called to put their feet into the water. And as they did that, then God would separate the water so they could go through. And it's all we've been hearing the first few weeks about how Taking steps of faith often means taking a step first and then seeing God come through. He doesn't just unlock all all the the avenues and say, hey, here you go, come on through. No, often he he encourages us to play our part in it. They then get into the promised land and uh, we in chapter 5, they were meant to... Well, we thought that they would then go full steam ahead. And yet God says, no, you need to stop. You need to remember my covenant promises. They did that by circumcising all the men. And uh, they took a a pause on their plans to do that and to heal and to remember the covenant and to know that the whole point about going into the promised land is about going with God and journeying with him and being in relationship with him. And then they go and they... um, Uh, God calls him to go and take Jericho and rather than being like a normal army doing that with swords, they end up marching around the walls of Jericho and uh, worshipping God and the walls come down and we heard about that uh, last week. And during the midst of this massive kind of nation power play, Israel moving from um, the, the wilderness into the promised land, we're kind of the writers hone in on this story of Rahab. And Rahab is this woman who is outside of the people of God. She's part of like the enemy territory who were meant to be defeated. She lived in Jericho and she was a prostitute. And there's this amazing story about how Rahab trust in the promises of God and she gets a scarlet cord and waves it out of her window and she's saved because she ends up like caring for some of the Israelite spies that went into the land and she ends up being saved and brought into the people of God and it showed us that God wasn't just about mass genocide it's something that Phil spoke about last week but it was about enacting his justice and every single person had a chance to put their trust in Jesus and be saved, and only Rahab did, and, and she was, and she was brought into God's people, and she's listed in the genealogies uh, as one of Jesus' great um, kind of ancestors. And as we approach this week, the walls of Jericho have fallen down, and so we would expect, therefore, that now this is full steam ahead, this is what we should do. And that's exactly what Joshua expected too. And so we're going to start in at verse 2. Verse 1 is a bit of a spoiler alert, so I'm going to ask you just to cover your eyes on that bit. And we're going to go straight into verse 2. And it says this, uh, the words will appear on the screen also. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Ai was the next city um, along that they wanted to take. It says, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out the region, as they had done, you know, in many conquests in the past. So the men went up and they spied out AI. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against AI. Just send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. You know, I think just like any of us, Joshua. Um, has, they've, Jericho's been defeated, and so he's now like, yeah, like God was with us then. Of course he's going to continue to be with us as he moves forward. And so he's like, yeah, let's go and just take a few thousand men and go and defeat Ai. Ai means heap of ruins. And so you can tell that it's it's much less fortified than Jericho. And so perhaps that's one of the reasons why he thought, yeah, we should go and take Ai. But like us all, Joshua's kind of forgotten that taking Jericho wasn't about the stature of his army. It wasn't even about him. We say, oh, Joshua won the battle of Jericho. No, he didn't. God won the battle of Jericho and just used Joshua in it. And so they kind of forget that because Ai, although it, it means a heap of ruins there's still 12,000 people roughly living there. And so you kind of get the men and they're saying, yeah, well, check us out. We're good. Look what we did at Jericho. All we had to do was sing and the walls came down. And so, yeah, there's 12,000 there. We only need 3,000 and we're going to head up. And so that's what they do. But do you know what? Maybe one of the reasons why, and we're going to find out that this holds them back, is that they have got pride. They have kind of forgotten that... The life in God and walking in the promises of God, which is what the series of this title is about, is about not about reaching the final destination, but it's about going on the journey. Faith and presumption are different things. They needed faith to see Jericho 1, and now they're just presuming. Now they're kind of full of pride. They're just thinking, yeah, this is, this is going to happen. And so they're pressing on through without remembering, no, they need to do this in relationship with God. There's no mention here about them calling on the name of the Lord. There's no mention here about them praying and seeking God, is this the right thing to do? They just press on ahead. I wonder, you know, it's so easy, isn't it, for us to do that in our lives. That perhaps God has called us to uh, a university or called us to a workplace or called us to a city or he's told us to do something. And we've seen him come through in miraculous ways and, and then we get there and we kind of forget that God called us in the first place and then we just press on through and full steam ahead because we think, oh, well, surely this is the right thing to do. I wonder if pride is a reason that potentially holds the church back from being all that it could be. That's why, do you know, it's so important for us as a church to regularly, uh, in, our, in our own personal lives, in our prayer lives, to come before God and seek him. God, what are you... You know, is this the right step forward? Is, is, is You know, yes, I've got this far, but is this the next thing to do and come before him? Do you know, as a church, that's why it's so important to come along to worship nights. These are evenings where we come together and we pray and we um, seek God for what he's calling us to do over this next season. We, we, he gives us encouragement and he equips us and strengthens us to go again. And so, so when we've got our worship nights coming up, I want to encourage you to put them in your diary because we don't want to be in a place like Joshua. Where it's just, yeah, let's just crack on. This seems to work. Let's just keep going. Seeking God's agenda is so much more than just pressing on without him. Verse 4 carries on. So about 3,000 of them. So they, they pressed on. 3,000 of them went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people, the hearts of the Israelites, melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring up this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? There's like real emotion here as Joshua comes before God. And he's kind of saying, come on, Lord, Like, what's this about? Like, You've called us into this land. You were the one that told us to be strong and courageous. You were the one that told us to come through. And now we've come through and now we've gone to um, fight AI. And now they're defeating us and everyone's going to look at us and they're going to think, oh, these guys aren't that strong after all. God isn't with them and we can just go and take them out. And um, he's like, how could you let this happen? And so I find it really interesting that right in the middle there, um, he says, if only we had been content to stay on the other side. It's almost as if Joshua has forgotten that it was God that called him into the land and that really it was because of their con- like they, they weren't too happy to be in the wilderness. So it was their idea to go into the promised land. It's like he's forgotten that there was a call from God to go and, and press into this promised land you know, it's so easy for us to kind of forget that too. It's easy for us to forget that God has given you your brain, your mind. He's, a, he's equipped you. He's, he's, you are where you are because of all his blessings on your life. It's easy for us to forget that. And to think that the reason why you are where you are is because of your great skills and your great wisdom and, and your intelligence. And oh, and then it's then easy to get to a point where you blame God. And you say, God, how could, you know, you called me. How can you now not let this happen? How can you not come through on this area? How come my finances are struggling? How come this is tough? How come my home isn't as nice as it should be? You called me here. Like, and it's, it's easy for us to do that. Um, It's really easy to press on to the the next thing. And I wonder if, again, what they've done is, uh, as well as pride, they've just fallen into presumption. They've kind of just presumed that, well, of course, as we press into this next thing, that, of course, God God will now let that flow. Do you know, often... Church traditions kind of start like that. Like a church feels a real call by God to go and do something. And then they start doing it. And, oh, it works well. A bit like Jericho. And then they keep doing it. And then year after year after year after year, they kind of keep doing it. But they kind of forget why they were doing it in the first place. And they kind of do it because that's, well, what we've always done. And they kind of just presume, therefore, that it will just keep working and go on. And don't get me wrong. Some traditions are great traditions. But the point is is that unless we continually come before God and seek and have faith, either faith to continue or faith to stop, then do you know what? We're we're just kind of doing it out of presumption, presuming that God should come through. And I think this, perhaps this is a reason why the church is just held back in so many areas, stuck in different traditions, It's just presuming, well, of course this will work, and not thinking about the culture that's amongst us, and is this a good way to present God to the people? And so these guys, they've kind of been presuming on God's goodwill, they've routed by AI, and God kind of gives them a bit of a backhanded slap in the face. And he says this in verse 10, The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up, what are you doing on your face, down on your face? It's like, what do you mean, my great name? What do, you, what do you mean? Like, How can you come to me and complain that I haven't done this for you? You've forgotten about me. You've just pressed on on your own accord. You, you, you haven't prayed to me. You haven't sought my face. You're not in relationship with me. What are you doing down in your face? And you dare to come and question me and question my great name. And he's going to, like, say, have you checked yourself? Have you asked yourself these questions? See... Back in chapter 6, when the walls of Jericho fell down, God gave them a really clear commandment. And that commandment was for them, although to go in and kind of to take out Jericho, and if this kind of idea of God asking people to wipe out Jericho is, is of hardship for you, I just want you to park that question. Uh, Phil kind of spoke on that really well last week and really listen to that, but just park it for the moment and just, just assume that it's kind of okay. And if... God God had told them to go into Jericho, to take out Jericho, but he gave them a rule. And that rule was, you are not allowed to take any of the gold or any of the plunder out of Jericho. You need to leave it there. And if you don't, then the whole camp of Israel will be liable to destruction and trouble. And so turning the tables right back on Joshua, he says, stand up, look at yourself. And he carries on in verse 11 and he says, Israel has sinned they have violated my covenant which i commanded them to keep they have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen they have lied they have put them within their own possessions that is why israel israelites cannot stand against their enemies they turn their backs and they run because they have been liable to destruction i will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is among you whatever among you is devoted to destruction and so then he says go and consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says there are devoted things among you, Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. God is revealing that the reason why they are they have been held back, the reason why that they have been stopped, the reason for defeat, it was part pride, it was part presumption, it was part not walking in relationship with God, and it was also sin. They had, it was really, they had trusted in themselves, or a particular guy, which we're about to find out in a minute, a guy called Achan, had trusted in himself for his provision. And so, just a few, those few chapters before, the people, have they've consecrated themselves before God, they've remembered the covenant. And just these few chapters later, suddenly, rather than remembering they're in covenant relationship with God and that God provides everything they need, they're now oh, actually, maybe I need to provide for myself. Maybe I need to trust in my own provision, in my own security, which is why this guy Achan took some of the possessions which God is pointing out. They forgot that God is the one who provides. And someone in the camp, he's forgotten that, that guy is called Achan. He's forgotten that every victory in his life has come from God. And rather than obeying God and trusting in God's provision, trusting that just as God has got them into the land, that he'll provide for them in the land, he's forgotten that. And this guy thought, do you know what? I need a backup plan. I need to provide for myself. And so he stole some of the plunder. He made a way for his own provision. Just in case it all goes belly up. And so in verse 14, um, God, he says, look, this is what's going to happen in the morning. I want you to present yourselves tribe by tribe. And the tribe that the Lord chooses shall come forward, clan by clan. And the clan that the Lord chooses shall come forward, family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward, man by man. And whoever is caught with a devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. Because he has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. In teaching, there's this thing called the pit, that sometimes in a lesson, you take people into the pit and then you bring them back out into the light. This morning's talk might feel like you're in a pit right now. There is good news coming, but it's just important just to remain in this moment for a second. God has given Achan so much time to come and repent. So they find out the day before and all night... I wonder what Achan was thinking. He's probably lying in his bed. Oh, I've got, I've got this stuff. I've done something wrong. Should I go and confess? He doesn't confess. But he's told that in the morning, he's then going to have this opportunity. All the, the tribes are all going to come out. And then all this, he's going to pick one. And the families from that tribe are going to come out. And then he's going to pick a family. And then the men are going to line up. And then he's going to pick the man. And he's probably thinking, he's amongst like millions of people. Uh, the two million people came out of Egypt. And um, we've got, there's, We don't know exactly how many people go into the promised land, but I can't imagine it's reduced by that much. Maybe by 36 that were killed earlier. But you're probably talking a couple of million people. And he's probably thinking, do you know what, what does my sin really matter? What does it really, you know, amongst all these people, would any, you know, does it really matter? Is anyone really going to know? And yet God patiently waits. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that God is patiently waiting Um, So that all might turn to him, that all might repent and all might come and, and say sorry and receive new life. And you know, Achan has this opportunity. God gives him time. He goes through the whole rigmarole of calling out all these people and he doesn't do it. And so in verse 16, it tells us what happens. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, all the tribes, and Judah was chosen. Achan's probably standing there thinking, oh, flip. They've got my tribe. But there's still, still thousands of people here, so that's right. Then the clans of Judah come forward, and the Zerahites are chosen. And he's, he's from the family of Zeri, Zeri. So it's like, oh, flip, the Zerahites. And he had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. And Achan's goes oh, flip, this is my family. Maybe, could God really know? And then... Joshua had his family come brought forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the son of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. I mean, just picture that scene. It's a bit like God calling out Portsmouth and Birmingham and Guildford and wherever, and Liverpool. And, you know, you know, you're the guy, you're in that place, and and you've sinned, and then suddenly Guildford is called forward, and you're thinking, oh, flip. But, but you've still got all the big clans. You've got Stoughton, you've got Park Barn, you've got Burpham or Burpham, Burpham, And you've got Merrow. And, and, and then, oh, you're in Stoughton, and Stoughton are called forward. But then you've still got all your, you know, your, the families. You've got all these different families. And the families are massive. And you've got all the uncles and grandparents and whatever. And, and then suddenly your family is called forward. But then you, there's still loads of men, and you've got all these men, and suddenly the finger points at you. tough moment and Achan he responds oh well Joshua responded says to Achan my son give glory to the Lord the God of Israel and honour him tell me what you have done do not hide it from me and Achan replied it is true I've sinned against the Lord the God of Israel this is what I've done When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And they're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. It's true, he says. He comes out and says, it's true. Do you know, this whole kind of passage points towards a day where there will be a judgment day and God will kind of give every single person an opportunity to give account and do you know there'll be nowhere to hide? There'll be nothing to hide behind. There'll be no excuses. There'll be, there'll be nothing that you can say. And all you can do in that moment... I mean, Achan, he knows he has been nailed. Like, he can't, he can't say it wasn't me. I mean, from going from all the tribes to the clans, to the families, to the men, to him, he's like, man, my hands are open. It is true. I've done wrong. Do you know every single one of us are going to be in that position? It is true. And then... He, I, I lo- you know, his what he says, isn't that so much like what sin is like? I saw, and then I coveted in my heart, and I thought, oh, I want that. And then I took, and then I hid that shame. It's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve, right at the beginning in the garden. You know, they saw the fruit, oh, and then they coveted, and you kind of got the serpent in there as well, you know, sort of goading them. And then they took, and they eat, and then they find hidden in the garden, and God walks around and goes, hey, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they're hiding naked in their shame. Isn't it the same as David, King David, Great David, and Bathsheba? And he, 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 saw, he saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, and Bathsheba is already married to another person, and he sees her, and, and he covers, oh, I think I, I like her. And he invites her up, and, and he takes, and he sleeps with her. And, but then he gets her pregnant, and so he tries to hide away the shame by having her husband killed off. And it's just the pattern of sin all over the Bible. It's the pattern of sin for me and you that we saw and we see and we take because we coveted and and then we try to hide our sin and our shame. Do you know, we live in a very individualistic, individualistic society and it's not much different to back then. Achan was an individual amongst millions. And you know what? We're amongst thousands of people in our town, thousands on campus, hundreds in, across the churches. And it's easy to think, well, what does my sin really matter to this whole group? Could God really hold back his promises because of my sin? Would anyone even care? Does God even know? Well, it seems that God seems to know here. It's so easy for us to downplay sin. And so I wonder if, if that is, um, is sin. Could sin be the reason that God holds back you know is it do we just downplay it do we live in a society do we live amongst Christians not just in this church across all the churches who perhaps just downplay the severity of sin before a holy living God certainly they did and so in verse 22 it says this that Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent and there it was Achan was wasn't lying Hidden in his tent with the silver underneath, they took the things from the tent and they brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and they spread them all out, laid bare in front. Right in this moment, Achan's heart is laid bare for all to see. Deep down, his security, his identity, his sense of self-worth, his source of strength is not in the Lord, it's in, in these possessions. And he thinks, well... If all this following God stuff goes to pot, then I need a backup plan. And that's, perhaps that's what he was thinking. And so that's, maybe that's why he did it. And he believed deep down that somehow he knew better than God. And he trusted more in his own uh, understanding than in God's understanding for what would bring him long-term joy. Isn't that just the essence of our root of sin? Yes, Lord, I know that your body word says this or don't do that or do that. But I think on this occasion, I just know better. And so I know you say don't do that, but I think I know better, so I'm going to go this way. I think I know better, so I'm going to go this way. And so then Joshua says this, he, together with all Israel, he took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar. His family would have known as well, because they're all living there in the tent. And so he took his sons, his daughters, he got all the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, even the tent. He grabbed it all, all that he had, and they took it to the valley of Achor, and that means the valley of trouble. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. At this point in the story, we're introduced to the second pile of memorial stones that appear in Joshua. The first one was at the top of Gilgal when they crossed over the Jordan. And they, they lifted it up so that everyone, whoever looked at that pile, would see that God has done an amazing thing and taken them into the land. And then this second pile of memorial stones is set up to remind all the Israel that God is a God of holy covenant promises, that he is one who wants to have a relationship with you, that he calls us to holy living and it's not about... Um, the destination, it's not about trying to get into the promised land, but it's mm-hmm. the journey. It's about walking together, walking on the prom- in the promises of God. It's about walking relationship with God day by day. Both of them are absolutely key. And I asked this question at the beginning, what is it that holds the church back from being all that it could be? And do you know what? I spent a lot of time this week grappling with this question. And I think that it would be really easy for me to say it's sin. There's sin in the camp, and start wagging the finger. And what sin have you committed? And what sin have you committed? And the, the, the church in whole. What sins are committed in the church in whole? And it would be easy for someone to kind of read this passion thing. It's all about sin in the camp, and we need to exterminate sin in the camp. And it's all about that. And you know what? I'm just not sure. Having kind of, you think through the whole, you know, tonight we're going to look at the meta-narrative of the Bible, and I think, do you know what, actually, there's multiple instances throughout the Bible where, yes, people sin, but that doesn't stop God from moving in his promises. I mean, just take David and Bathsheba as an example. We've already mentioned them. God, David repents and God is able to do amazing things through David. You can take people like Joseph who was sold as a slave into Egypt and his brothers sinned massively, but it didn't hold back the promises of God. No, Instead, God used that and Joseph is able to declare like, what they meant for evil, God meant for good and God could, could use that. And ultimately, when you get to the end of the Bible, you know, to Jesus' life, and Jesus is stoned and and he's killed, that was the sin of the Pharisees and the sin of Pontius Pilate that got him there, and yet God was able to use that to work out his promises. So I don't think that the ultimate answer to this question is sin. And I don't think that the right application of this passage is to start wagging my finger and say, stop sinning. No, actually, I think that the biggest thing that held the people of God back there and perhaps holds the people of God back today is unbelief. It's, it's unbelief. That's why it's just worth comparing that in the midst of this massive nation power play, we, um, the writer pinpoints two key individuals. Rahab and Achan. And it's just worth just comparing those two for a moment, because Rahab was outside of the people of God. She was a prostitute. She was Canaanite. She was set for destruction. And yet she believed that there was more joy, more love, more grace, more significance, more purpose, more everything to be found in God. And so she was willing to trust in Israel's God and betray her city. Whereas Achan, he was born in the people of God. But he believed that he knew best and he had unbelief and he betrayed God to put his security in the possessions of the city. Rahab believed in the scarlet cord. She waved it out of her window. She trusted in this red rag, red rag to save her from destruction. Do you know, Achan did the exact opposite. He needed a backup plan. And so what he did was that instead of um, you know, bringing something to the light, he hid it in shame. He did the opposite. And often that's the way, isn't it? Light and darkness. Darkness is hidden. And yet light, actually, you know, even though I'm a prostitute, I know I can come before Jesus. I can walk into the light. Rahab's belief led to her being accepted by God. It led to her trusting in him. And she found an identity in him. She found security in his goodness. And that led to her obedience towards God. It led to her relationship with him. And ultimately it led to salvation. Achan's unbelief led to a lack of trust in God. It led to an identity that was caught up in his own things, and his own belongings. It led to a security in his own wealth, in his own possessions. Ultimately, it led to sinfulness. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. And it ultimately led to death and destruction. Pride, presumption, relying on yourself for your own provision, sure. But also unbelief. You know, Rahab is listed in Hebrews along all those great characters where by faith they pressed on, by faith Abraham this, by faith Moses did that. It says, by faith Rahab, the prostitute, she trusted in the God of Israel. She had belief. The Israelites learned that day that walking in the promises of God is not about the destination, but it's about the journey. They learned that it wasn't about race and what race you're in, but it was about a relationship with God. There was like no white male privilege or no Middle Eastern male privilege in that day. And it's the same today. It showed that it wasn't about mass genocide, but it was about God enacting his justice. Because someone who was set for destruction actually was saved. And someone who was set for salvation ended up being destroyed. It showed that this whole thing of faith is about journey and not destination. It wasn't about Canaan, but it was about God's covenant promises. It was about a relationship with him. And God isn't wanting you to get to a destination point in your life where somehow you feel good enough to come to him. No, God is wanting to have a relationship with you on the journey. Where you are right now, God is calling you to be in relationship with him. It's true, isn't it? Amen. You know, wherever you are in life right now, God wants you to want a relationship with you. And you know what? What I think is ridiculous is that it wasn't even about the stuff. It wasn't about the rules. It wasn't about the plunder. Because in the very next verses in the beginning of chapter 8, God says, "Right. Now that you've repented, you've dealt with the sin. I want you to go and take aye oh and by the way, this time you can have all the plunder you like." What? It's because it wasn't about the stuff. It wasn't about whether you've got loads of riches or no riches. It wasn't about whether you're white or black or this or that. It wasn't about whether you're healthy or unhealthy. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. Achan wasn't walking in relationship with God and he trusted. He had unbelief. He trusted in himself. And that's why he was set for destruction. Rahab although she didn't know anything about God she chose to believe in him and was able to walk into the acceptance and the goodness of all that it means to be saved by grace Achan didn't didn't trust God Rahab did ultimately Achan was not in a relationship with God and do you know what sometimes that is I think the biggest root of all our issues does sin matter of course it matters Of course, you know. Read Romans. You know, what then should we just carry on sinning? Because it doesn't really matter. Because you know, God's grace. No, of course, we sin matters. But our perpetual sinning is not just down to bad habits. It's down to what you truly believe. What you truly believe about yourself. What you believe about God's goodness. Sometimes we solid a lie. God doesn't really mind. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God doesn't exist. We can have all these different lies that we've swallowed and we live in this individualistic, individualistic culture like Aiken thinking, well, does it really hurt anyone anyway? Shouldn't I just carry on sinning? Do you know what? Just like AA and lots of different counselling things, they don't just say, wag the finger and say, stop sinning. They go to the root. What is it that you have believed? You know, often Christians can think, oh, well, it's so great, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven by God and and that's wonderful. But do you know what? There's so much more to being a Christian than just being forgiven. Yes, being forgiven is wonderful. But you can also walk in acceptance and security and significance. They're the three things that really all men and, and all women destined. And do you know what? Being a Christian is about knowing how to walk in the promises of God. It's more than just being forgiven. It's knowing that you can be accepted, knowing that you can be significant, knowing that you can have security in him, regardless of where you are and who you are. And do you know what? That's exactly what's at the heart of the Freedom in Christ course, which we're running at the moment. That is at the heart of it, is knowing these things and walking in the freedom of all that it means to be saved by grace and saved by a saviour. Do you know, another thing that is happening is the Father's Heart Conference. And that's coming up in February. And actually, there's a price break for it tomorrow evening. And again, at the heart of this Father's Heart Conference is coming before the God of the Bible, understanding who he is and knowing that who we are in him and believing that. Because as you believe it, you're able to walk in the goodness of all that it means to be a child, to be a son or a daughter of the living God. And so... Um, I just want to commend these things to you. Achan's problem, yes, sin was a symptom, but the deep lying issue was unbelief. He didn't believe that God was more committed to his long-term joy than himself. And so he needed to provide for his own solutions. And he ended up walking away from God. And I don't want you to do the same. Do you know, the last verses said that the Lord turned his anger... And we're going to finish up on this. And this is where I'm going to link to the trading places and to the hope. The last few verses says this, that the Lord turned his anger and therefore he, the place has been called the Valley of Acor. Ever since. Do you know Hosea is a prophet in the Bible? You're gonna hear about him later tonight. And Hosea got a prophecy from God, and God spoke to him, and Hosea writes in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 15, he prophesies, the valley of Acor will become a door of hope. Do you know that word hope is the exact same Hebrew word for Rahab's scarlet cord? It's the same. So when Rahab holds a scarlet cord out, it is a sign of hope. When Achan gets sin and the the memorial stones are laid up and that valley of Achor, that's going to become a door of hope. It's going to become a door where you can come and receive hope. Do you know, there will come a day where another man will be selected from the tribe of Judah. It's already happened. And he too will suffer a horrific death, not just for his sins, but the sins for many. And there will be a lasting memorial. It's a stone. It's called the empty tomb. And whoever comes to that door, whoever comes to that guy, they will receive forgiveness of sins. And just like Rahab, um, traded places with Achan, one who was set for destruction, came into the people of God. You know what? We trade places with Jesus. And He takes on all our sin and all our shame and all our past hurts and all our pain, and instead He gives us His goodness, His grace, His joy, His acceptance, His significance, His purpose, His value. And we can come in him and we can walk like the people of God. That's why. We've called this series Walking in the Promises of God. It's not about where you are in 10 years' time. It's about the journey now. How is your relationship with God? How are you doing? Are you trusting him? Are you believing him? Are you thinking he doesn't really care? He doesn't really exist. He's not really interested in my life. I call the talk Trading Places because we get to trade places with Jesus. And we are brought into all the goodness that it means to be saved by Jesus on that cross. Becoming a Christian and trusting in Jesus isn't about the destination, it's about the journey. And I just want to invite the band back up to come up. We're going to respond. And um, there's a bit in Mark where Jesus says, everything is possible for those who believe. And a guy responds and he says, Lord, I do believe But help me in my unbelief. It's like, Lord, I do, I I believe that there's people here today that have put their trust in Jesus. I do believe Jesus. But there is, there's some unbelief. There's some areas, all of us, I mean, including me, all of us. There's just areas of our life where our acceptance, our security, our significance, it just comes from other sources. Do you know what that leads to sin? And we don't want to be in that place. We want to receive all those things from God. And so what I'd like us to do is I I want us to respond. And I want us to respond in two ways. If you're a Christian here today, I want us to pray. And I want us to pray that prayer. Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. You know, today you can receive the Holy Spirit, just encouragement, filling you again to walk in relationship with God fully in all that it means. Not just as a forgiven person, but as someone who has accepted, who has significant, who's received it all. And you know what? I also want to give a gospel response. It might be that you've never really put your trust in Jesus, or perhaps you have a while ago, and there's a significant moment for you today where you want to say, Lord, help me to believe. I do believe. I don't have all the answers, but I do believe, and I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to do both of those things. So, I what I'd like us to do is just close our eyes. The question is, are you willing to believe that Jesus is enough, that he's more committed to your long-term joy than even yourself? I want to pray first, so keep, keep your eyes shut. I want to pray first for all those who want to make a significant recommitment to Jesus. You know in your heart, perhaps you've, You've just walked away from him. He's calling you back today. And whilst everyone's eyes shut, if that's you, I just want you to raise up your hands. And I want to pray with you. So it might be that you're doing this for the first time or as a significant recommitment. So can you do that now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, those five. I've seen your hands. You can put your hands down. Is there any others? Do you want to give you one? Whilst everyone's eyes shut. Yeah, I've got you. Six. It's good anymore okay let me just pray for you and you, I want you to pray with him in your heart dear Lord I just want to repent say sorry <clears throat> for those just the things I've done wrong and I want to come before you now Lord I believe in Jesus I believe that he is the door of hope and I want to put my trust in you now Jesus and I pray would you fill me with your life Fill me with your significance. Help me to know all that it means to be someone who's accepted, who has value and dignity. I repent of my past and I put my trust in you today. Amen. Amen. Just keep your eyes shut. For those six, you just put your hands up. i love it if you tell someone you came with today. It's just a great moment. It's good. It's good what you've done. The second thing is this. It might be today that you you're just that you're that Christian and you're like, Lord I do believe but help me in my unbelief. Maybe you've just been just wrapped up. Pride, presumption, I don't know. Maybe you've been trying to provide for yourself and you, you've been walking away, perhaps, from that relationship with God. Maybe you, 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 you knew God's presence with you and you stepped into something and now you've just been carrying a lot. And life has just been going on and you, you've kind of forgotten to walk back in with him. And you, today you want to mark this moment as just, Lord, yeah, I am coming back to you. I trust you. I'm walking with you. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And again, whilst everyone's eyes shut, can you just put your hands up? Again, so I know who I'm praying for. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> loads of hands all around the room. Again, is there anyone else who wants to put their hand up? I want to pray for you. Okay, go and put your hands down, guys. Why don't you pray with me in your heart? Father God, I just want to mark this moment in my life. Lord, I do believe in you. But just help me in my unbelief. Help me, Lord God, when I put other things in your place. Help me, Lord God, when I come and I, and I put my security and my confidence in other things, well, sometimes I don't even think it's a bad idea. But Lord, actually, ultimately, I know that those things are never going to bring me long-term joy, long-term significance, long-term acceptance. That only I can find that in You. And so, Lord, now I just want to—I repent of those things. I lay them down, and I come again to the foot of the empty tomb, to that memorial stone, to that place of hope. And I say, Lord Jesus, I am Yours. I give my life to you again. I say, Lord God, Holy Spirit, come and fill me again with your life and your love. Help me to walk in all the goodness that it means to be saved by grace and to trust you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.